Can we make some noise for Shaddai Malou, Pastor Shaddai Malou? Oh, man, you guys are too kind. Give it up for one of your youth pastors, Talin. Come on, baby. Man, you, you got me wanting to dye my hair blonde. Take, take the hat off just a second. Let's see it. Oh, that's clean. I like it. Y'all are saying it ain't worth it? Wow. Y'all are kind of savage. I'm not going to lie. Um, before I get started, I just want to say thank you to the whole team here, Malachi, to Lynn, and then one of my favorite people, funniest people I know, Taylor Murray is in the house. Come on. Man, that's a youth pastor right, right there. I don't care if you're changing roles, you'll be a youth pastor forever. How long were you a youth pastor? Wow, almost 13 years. Who's 13? Any 13-year-olds? Come on. That right there is living proof of a seasoned youth pastor. But give it up for your amazing youth pastors, leaders. Come on, you can do better than that. Come on. Y'all got swag too. Y'all got, got two black youth pastors. That, that's... Hey, y'all different. Y'all kind of different for that. I like it. I like it. That's why I feel more comfortable in this house because y'all kind of y'all kind of used to seeing people that look like me. So I like it. Um, but like Talin said, my name is Shaddai. I I am a youth pastor up in Kirkland, Washington, at a church called Church Home, and I've been there six years now. Been a youth pastor for six years. I started when I was 22. I was young. Um, now 28. And uh, my family, they wish they could be here. I have a picture of my family, I think, on the screen. My wife, her name is Christy. She's, um, she went to the UW. She played basketball at UW. She's a hooper. Like, when we, when we were dating, I would, like, try and, like, beat her at different shooting competitions. Not once have I ever beat her. And it's funny, like I said, she went to UW. She was a Husky. But I like to say because she's five years older, that she's a cougar at heart. So that's, that's my little joke. But hey, hey, I, I always, I'm not going to lie, Taylor, I prayed for an older woman to marry, and God answered that prayer. Come on, she's five years older. And so we got married about three and a half years ago, and like you said, like I said, she's, you know, a little bit older than me, so the kids thing happened a little bit faster <laughs> Um, Asa, he's the one that's standing. He's just two, he's two and a half. And then Shiloh, she's turning one on Tuesday. And so we got a little family of four. And um, like I said, they wish they could be here. I'm so, so glad that um, just God's been good. Anybody, you look at your family, look at your life, you look at your friends, and you can just say, man, God's been good. God's been good to me. Go ahead and raise your hand if that's you. You feel and you look at your life. And you can admit that God's been good. Even when you don't feel like God has been good, can I tell you that God is still good? And that actually brings me to what I want to talk about today. There's a question. It's called theodicy. And it's basically a question that addresses if God is truly good or if God is truly loving, why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen? And I believe that even though bad things might happen, 
God is still good. And it makes me think, if you're taking notes, the title of this message is Suffering in Silence. Suffering in Silence. Like I said, we got married about three and a half years ago. It was the best day of my life. And right after getting married, got married during COVID, so we did like a COVID wedding. Some people were doing weddings on Zoom. Did you do a Zoom wedding? COVID wedding. Okay, okay. I did the COVID wedding as well. One of my friends did a Zoom wedding. It was like them and the pastor and people just watched. I saw someone else do an Instagram live wedding. That was different. It was like, yo, the wedding invite was their Instagram handle and it said join at 6 p.m. And so, guys, people did whatever it took to get married during COVID. And so we get married. We had like 30, 40 people at our wedding. And um, we're doing our thing, right? Like we're newlyweds. And um, when you're married, you got to make a plan. Like usually a lot of married people have a plan of like when they're going to decide to have kids. We didn't really have a plan. And we were just like, life is just going to happen as it does. And so a month in, we were coming back home from our, from our honeymoon from Florida. And um, my wife was silent on the plane ride home. And we get home and she's like, um, I'm a few days late. And um, I'm like, all right, I'll go to CVS. I'll get a couple of those tests. I go to CVS and we get, she takes the tests. You better believe that thing has a positive test on it. One month into marriage. Man. Woo. It was definitely a honeymoon baby. Like, if you do the timing, like, it was a honeymoon baby. And here was another thing. We were like, my wife didn't believe it. And for some reason, we, we, lived, we lived in Bothell. We still live in Bothell. But at the time, we had like a, um, a what is one of those urgent care clinic in our apartment. And so we go to urgent care, we're like, hey, let's just double check. And so she gets tested and the nurse comes in. She was like, well, because we had told them like, there's no way those tests were right. And she joked with us. She was like, well, you were right. You're not pregnant. And she was like, just kidding. Boom, shows us. And for a second, we're like, oh, we're not like. And then she did that. And it was like a huge emotional like transition that happened. And it was kind of messed up. And so we're freaking out. I told my wife, I'm like, I'm not ready to tell nobody about this pregnancy until like at least week 12. We can tell our parents. But like, I was like, I need some people to just see us as just me and you before people start seeing us as like me, you, and then the baby. And then, because once you get a baby, people don't care about you no more. They care about the baby. How are your kids? This is the question I get every day, every week at church. How are the kids doing? I'm like, yo, we haven't talked in like six months. You don't ask me how I'm doing? Like, I would appreciate that. But it's only how are the kids. And so week 12 comes to tell our family we're going about the pregnancy. And at like week 13, you're supposed to actually right around week 12, you're supposed to do like some blood work, some blood tests, like to do these different tests on the baby, see how baby's doing. And so we did the tests. And um, fast forward week 17, and a doctor calls us, and the doctor is like, hey, like, it was like at 8 a.m. It was an early morning call. I was like barely waking up, and I hear my wife on the phone with the doctor. And um, 
I don't know what's said, but then my wife gets off the phone and she basically tells me that the doctor had noticed that in her blood work there was extra protein, like her, she was high in protein. And so we didn't necessarily know exactly what that meant or what you know, the risks were with higher protein in, in your blood. And we had to wait a few days to go to the hospital. And so as we're waiting, we're like searching up, like what could this be? And we're like praying, we're like believing that the baby's gonna be fine. And so that was on a Monday. And so on Wednesday, we go in, Wednesday morning, and we, we see um, one of the genetic counselors, and she's like, there's only a 3% chance that even with the level of protein that you're at, anything could be wrong. She basically was like, 97 out of 100 people would come in here, and they will go home because everything is okay. And so she was reassuring us, letting us know, hey, things are probably going to be good. And so we go in there, and it's like a 45-minute ultrasound, and we're just freaking out. I'm just looking at the baby. I'm like, yo, baby look good to me. Like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm looking for here. Like, so we're like talking. I'm like, like, she's on the table, and I'm like, I mean, I think it looks good. Like, and so the person doing the ultrasound goes out of the room, and like 15 minutes later, the doctor comes in, shuts the door behind him, and he lets us know. He says, hey, I just want to let you know that your baby, your baby boy, we had just found out that same day that he was a boy, Asa, and they said he has a spinal cord defect called spina bifida. And if you don't know what spina bifida is, it's basically when in the first four weeks of a baby's life, their spinal cord, their spine doesn't form correctly. And so as a result, a lot of kids with spina bifida, aren't able to walk. They're not able to use a bathroom on their own. They have cognitive delay. They have to get um, a brain surgery that drains fluid in their brain. And the first thing the doctor said is he said, I just want to let you know that over 90% of families that find themselves in this situation don't move forward with the pregnancy. And so we want to let you guys know what most people do is they kind of call it quits here. And I remember in that moment, feeling like something stirred up within me, and I, and I actually stood up and I said, we don't receive this over our son. Just because the doctor might say something that might be true, that doesn't mean that God can't use that very thing to show you who he really is. And even though that began a journey, which is still going on to this day, can I tell you that Jesus has shown up in our suffering? As we, we would have to end up moving to Houston, Texas to get a surgery, he ended up having surgery on his back at 24 weeks in the womb to close his spine so his spinal cord wasn't hanging out of his back so that he would have a better chance of one day being able to walk. And I don't know what your story is, but I know that in the hardships that I've faced, the suffering that I've faced, that you can't just get over suffering in one prayer meeting. <laughs> it doesn't just take showing up to church one time to all of a sudden your suffering is gone. And a lot of times when things happen in our lives, 
We suffer in silence, not because people don't care, but it's usually when time goes on, people forget to check up on us. And so we feel like it's our duty to stay silent in our suffering because we don't want to be a burden to other people. And so there might be some people in this room who maybe you came to camp last year facing something, believing for something and feeling like you were looking for an answer to your suffering and you walked into this room, you walked to camp this year and you're still facing that thing, but you've been suffering in silence for over a year. In our story, our son would end up being born and the journey would begin of us believing in faith and believing that in the midst of our suffering, God would show up. Brings me to this story in the Bible in John 9, there was another guy, a guy who was born blind. And his suffering wasn't necessarily that he couldn't, the doctors or something gave him a diagnosis. He was an older man and he's outside begging for money because he was born blind. And one of the crazy things about this story, one of the first things I know, John and I, is that this blind man is sometimes a picture of you and a picture of me. I love what it says here. We'll, we'll start reading it, and I'll, I'll explain the statement I just made. John 9, verses 1 through 3. And it says this. It says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. I'll stop right there for a second. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Can I tell you this? Why I relate this to you and to me sometimes is that even though this man could not see Jesus, Jesus could still see him. That even when you look at your suffering, even when you look at what you're facing, you might not feel like Jesus is in it. You might not feel like you can see Jesus, but can I tell you that Jesus can see you? And he walks towards this man, the disciples, they asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not this man that sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus here tells his disciples, the disciples are actually showing a little bit of their theology, what they believed about God. They believed this thing called, or one of the things that people might think the disciples believed was this thing called the Pythagorean notion. Basically that in a person's past life, they did something, they sinned in their past life. And so when they were born into their new life, they were born with some sort of defect or some sort of thing as a result of their sin. Because if you look at the question, they said, who sinned, this man or his parents? How could he have sinned before he was born? It's because they believed in this thing. And Jesus doesn't rebuke them, but he does tell them. He said, no, 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 this actually isn't a sin thing. And that gives us a picture into the truth of this world, that this is a fallen world because of sin. That Adam and Eve, when they committed that first sin, it broke the perfection that Jesus and God had called us to live in. It broke the perfection of this planet. And so now all of a sudden we're born into 
sin. So because we're born into sin, that's why we say when someone encounters Jesus that they're born again. They're born again into a new life, into a new creation, into a new relationship with Jesus because the first one, the first Adam, broke that relationship that we had with God. And so I want to address this question is what does God do or what does suffering do in our lives? What does suffering do in our lives? The first thing that suffering does in our lives, it allows us to comfort others. Second Corinthians 1 verses 3 through 4 says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we might be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by. Can I tell you this? That when you face things, those things aren't just supposed to be things that you go through and you live your life and life just goes on when you figure it out. No, no, no. God actually wants to use your suffering to strengthen others. Think about some of the strongest people that you know. Maybe they're in this room. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a parent. Isn't it true that some of the strongest people that we know are usually the ones that have gone through the most? And it's so funny because we would think that the less we go through, the stronger we can be. But it's actually the opposite, that the more we go through, the stronger we become by the grace of God. And one of the things which it reminds me of is when we got this diagnosis, we were posting about it on Instagram. People kind of saw our story. And since this happened over two years ago, I could not tell you how many times I've gotten on the phone with someone who had the same diagnosis and called us asking, what should we do? What did you do? And now all of a sudden we're in a position that we can bring comfort to other people who are in need of comfort. You have what it takes by the grace of God to comfort others. Even though you might not be fully over the pain, even though you might not be fully over the hurt, Jesus can still use you right where you are to bring comfort to others. It's part of your calling. And if you would say that I haven't been comforted yet, I believe that can't. God is going to comfort you and God is going to bring strength in those areas where you, need, where you need to be strengthened. The second thing that I noticed that suffering does in our lives is that it produces, like I've been saying, it produces strength. James 1 verses 2 through 3 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That word steadfast means firm and unwavering. You know how hard it is in this day and age to be firm and unwavering? There's that saying that says that if you don't stand for anything, you will fall. No, if you don't stand for something, you will fall for everything. Sometimes in this life, we got to take a stand. 
Sometimes in this life, we got to take a stand in our faith. Sometimes in this life, we got to take a stand in who we are. Sometimes in this life, we got to take a stand in who Jesus has called us to be. It's time to take a stand. It's time to take a stand against the lies of the enemy. It's time to take a stand against what people say about us. It's time to take a stand against all the things that lie to us and try and tell us we're something that we aren't really. It's time for you to take a stand. And you might feel like you're not strong enough to stand up, like, man, what are people going to think about me when I take a stand for my faith? What are people going to think about me when I tell them I, I have morals, I don't do that? I, you know, some of the people that we respect the most are usually the people who don't do everything that everyone else does. The person who's like, ah, oh, man, it's midnight, I got to go home. Yo, that's real. The person who, when they're at a party, they realize, man, I, I probably shouldn't be here. Let me, let me go. The person that's around their friends and their friends are just talking bad about other people. Their friends are just saying things that aren't true or just spreading lies, spreading rumors and gossiping. You can be that person that takes a stand and says, man, I don't, I don't believe that to be true. I don't think we should be having this conversation. Did you know that your friends will actually respect you more when you take a stand? They won't look down on you. They won't think that you're stupid. They won't be like, oh, you're not cool. Who is this guy? Who is this girl? No, no, no. They'll actually understand that because you stand for something, they can actually go to you to, to, to ask questions about why is it that you stand for what you stand for. And now all of a sudden, you have an opportunity to tell your friends about Jesus. The Bible says that they shall know us by our love. In other words, people that don't follow Jesus aren't gonna know who he is by what you say. They're gonna know who he is by what you do. Your actions, they matter. When you have been called into the family of God, you walk different. There are certain players, sports, athletes, basketball players. You think about Bronny James. Do you think Bronny James, when he gets on the basketball court, is insecure? Do you think Bronny James, when he's going down the lane for a layup, he's like, man, I don't know if I'm going to make this layup. I'm insecure. That was me. It would be like right-handed layup. And I'm like, oh, God, I better not blow this layup. Oh, miss it. And I'm like, man, my coaching's going to get on my head. Bronny James isn't afraid of that. Why? Because of the name that's on his back. He knows who his dad is. Do you know who your father is? Your father in heaven? What he says about you, what he's called you to, and what he believes to be true about you? Or do you live your life like you don't know whose name is on your back? You can actually begin to understand more of who you are. And as you begin to understand more of who you are, all of a sudden, the way you act, the way you carry yourself begins to change. Some of you probably feel, and I know I've been there, and there's still moments where I feel this, feel insecure because you feel like you're not enough. One of the most Google search questions by Gen Z is, am I enough? Am I enough? 
enough? Can I tell you the reality of that question? Is that without Jesus, the answer is no. Jesus fills us in the areas where we cannot fill ourselves. Paul says it this way. He says, in my weakness, I'm actually all the more stronger because the power of Christ rests within me. And so you know what Paul does? He says he boasts in his weakness so that the power of Christ can rest in him. You know what we do? We hide our weakness. I ain't weak. And we walk around like this, hiding our, like, trying to protect ourselves. I ain't weak, like, trying not to get hurt. And Paul is like, no, like, this is me. And the Bible says that Paul actually had something about him which he couldn't fix. He had a weakness that was visible, a weakness that he talked about because it was obvious when people would be in conversation with Paul, would see Paul that there was something wrong. And so Paul says that this thing that I have, this weakness, has actually given me window into who Christ is. Your weakness can be the very thing that shows you who Jesus Christ really is. Suffering produces strength in us. It produces a strength in us. Isaiah 53, and the band can come up. I want to, I want to get back into some worship because, yo, that worship was fire. Yo, y'all got to, whew. Isaiah 53, verse 3, it says this. It says that he was despised and rejected by mankind. This is talking about Jesus. A man of suffering. He was a man of suffering. Do you know why Jesus can relate to you in your suffering? It's because he was a man of suffering. And the verse continues and it says this, he was familiar with pain like one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Jesus was a man of suffering. But do you know what the suffering that Jesus went through did? His suffering wasn't just for no reason. Jesus didn't suffer just to suffer. Philippians 2 verses 8 says this, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Jesus is suffering well, so that you and I could be in relationship with him forever and ever. And he suffered so that he could go from being low to being esteemed in high places in heaven above earth. Jesus' suffering had a purpose. You know, when Jesus tells this blind man, he says, hey, this happened, this didn't happen because of sin, but that the works of God might be shown through him Jesus wasn't saying that he gave this man blindness so that 
he could show his works. That's not how Jesus works. He doesn't do bad things to try and be like, all right, now let me just show you who I am. No, no, no. Bad things happen. And God says, all right, because this has happened, I'm going to use that thing and I'm going to show you who I am. And do you know what he does to this man? Verse four through seven will end up showing us that Jesus, he gets down in the dirt. And as he gets down in the dirt, he spits on the mud and he makes a clay paste and he wipes it over the man's eyes. And he tells the man to go and wash in a local pool and the man is walking. I can picture this man, maybe he kind of knows his way around because it's a local pool and he's been there for a long time or maybe someone is carrying him and maybe the disciples took him there and it's like, all right, let's go. You're just believing in faith that Jesus is gonna come through. And so they go down to the pool. The man still cannot see. And so he gets to the pool and he wipes his eyes with the water in the pool. And the verse says, he came back seeing. He came back seeing. Sometimes Jesus will get messy in order for you to see who he really is. Do you know that Jesus getting in the dirt was the same thing he did in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis? Do you know what he did to great man? He went into the dirt. And so he goes back into the dirt almost to remake this man and to let him know, I'm not just the God who created you. I'm the God who can remake you. And there might be some people in this room who have been through some things, who have faced some things, who are walking through some things. And Jesus says, I want to remake you. I want to make you new again. God, Jesus, he is the God of restoration. And I believe that there's some people in this room that Jesus, he wants to make you new. He wants to go back into the dirt and give you restoration. Restore your soul. And sometimes we suffer in silence, not on the outside, but our soul is suffering. The innermost parts of our lives are suffering. The innermost parts of our lives are hurting and are in pain. We don't tell anybody about it because we don't think they'll understand. We don't think they'll believe us, but Jesus can see it. And Jesus wants to go into that part of your life. He wants to go into that part of you and say, let me, let me remake you. Let me bring restoration. My son today is two and a half years old. He might not be walking yet, but can I tell you, there's so many things that he is doing that the doctor said he would never do. There's so many things. And I don't know if the team has the video, but this is my son just last week walking to physical therapy, doing his thing, and we're just believing in faith. 
every day. Come on. And so, that boy, Asa, you know what his name means? We gave him his name before we even found out his diagnosis. Asa means healer. The very thing, the very person for us that encounters suffering, Jesus wants to use that to bring about healing. There's some things you've been through and God wants to use that very thing to bring about healing in your life. God wants to make you lay. Psalm 23 says, he puts me beside still waters and he makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. And I believe Jesus wants to do some soul restoration today. I believe Jesus wants to meet you where you're at. And the amazing thing also about this man in John 9 that he was blind and now he can see. And even though he was blind and now he could see, you know what happened at the end of the story? Jesus finds him. He finds this man after he went through a bunch of things because so many people didn't believe that Jesus actually healed him. Jesus finds the man after the man had been kicked out. So now all of a sudden the man is alone and Jesus finds the man. Jesus will find you when you're alone. You might not feel like Jesus can see you, but even when you're alone, Jesus will find you. Even when you can't see anyone around, Jesus will find you. And Jesus says, do you want to meet the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he said, I want to. Who is he? And Jesus says, it was me. That is me. And I love how it ends up saying, verse give me one second verse 35 Jesus heard that they cast him out and having found him he said do you believe in the son of man and he answered who is he sir that I may believe in him Jesus said you have seen him and sit and it is he who is speaking to you and he said Lord I believe and he worshipped him Lord I done and I just believe that there's some people in this room that Jesus wants to speak to you. I just believe there's some people in this room that you've been struggling to believe that God is really good because of what you've been through. I believe that Jesus wants to show you who he really is. He wants to use your suffering to show you about his goodness, to show you that he cares, to show you that he's there for you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if there's anyone in this room that would say, you know what? I've been through some things. There's some things in my life which have made me question God. There's some things that I face which have made me feel like God doesn't care. Some things that have made me feel like God isn't real. And today you would say, I want to put my full trust into Jesus. The Bible says to trust in the Lord God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. You 
want to give everything to Jesus. And I don't care if you've been in church before and you've responded, but if you feel like Jesus is speaking to you and you would say, no, I want to put my full trust in Jesus. I want to give him everything. I want to surrender my life. I'm done playing games. I'm done trying to figure it out on my own. I'm done trying to use my mind to figure out whether or not God is real. No, no, no. I want an experience with Jesus. You would say, that's me. If that's you, I want you, to, I want you to stand up. I want you to stand up if that's you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Say, I'm, I'm putting my full trust in Jesus. No, no, no. I'm done playing games. I'm putting my full, I'm giving everything to him. If you're around somebody who is standing up, I want you to stand up and put a hand on their shoulder. Because we believe in community. When you make a decision like this, it's not a decision that you're making on your own. It's a decision that we make in community. And so Jesus, you see these amazing individuals. And God, we ask right now for your Holy Spirit to fall, for your glory, God, to be, to fill this place. God, for your spirit to be made known and your spirit to be made real in these individuals' lives. God, do you see them? You know them. You know their names. God, you formed them in their mother's womb. God, you gave them a purpose, God. You called them. God, that you know exactly what it is that you have called them to and who they are and who you've made them to be. And so, God, today we declare, we decree and we declare that we accept your grace. We accept your love. And God, we surrender our lives to you. Not our will be done, God, but your will be done. Not what we want, but what, what, but what you want, Jesus. And we accept what you want today. And we take it in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before we sing, there was three people I wanted to pray for specifically. I just felt like God, and I don't know who you are, but I just felt like God put this on my heart to pray for. And the first person is a student. I feel like someone laid down at night last night, looked up and said, what am I doing here? At camp, you said, what am I doing here? And you feel out of place because no one really knows you. They might know you on the outside, but they don't really know you on the inside. Looked up yesterday and you said, what am I doing here? I usually don't do this, but hey, could be wrong. Could have hurt God wrong. And if I did, I'm okay with that. But if I didn't, I feel like it could change somebody's life. So if that's you, you, you remember doing that, can't. I want you to raise your hand. Because I believe, and don't be afraid, I believe that Jesus wants to encounter you right here. He's called you by name. That's what it comes down to is he calls us by name. He doesn't just call us in groups. He calls us by name. 
So if that's you, go raise your hand high. Because I believe God wants to use you. Right here. What's your name, bro? Alex? What's your name? Right here. With the, with the, with the thing on your, yeah. What's your name? What is it? Brock? Anybody else? Alex, did you raise your hand or no? You did, okay. Anyone else? All right, I'm gonna pray for you two. Jesus, stretch out, your, stretch out your hands to these two and if you're around them. You got two more over here. What's your name? Dave? Nick? What's your name? Mason? You got one back here? Come on. If you see someone raising their hand, put an arm on them right now. Jesus, you see these individuals and God, you've called them out by name. And God, we believe in the promise of your Holy Spirit. We believe in the promise of who you are, God. We believe that what you're doing in their lives, God, is more than we may ask, think, or imagine. And so we ask for your spirit to fall. God, we ask for you to be made known in this room, God. God, we pray that all games would be put aside, God, that we would allow you, God, to show us who you are, to show us your spirit, to show us your love. And so, God, today we ask for your spirit, God, to fill this room, to fill this room, to fill these individuals, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. God, we pray that you would make them new. God, we pray right now that you would do what only you can do in their lives. God, speak to them. God, be with them. Make yourself known in their lives. God, we know that what you're doing in this room is beyond that what we might ask, think, or imagine. And so we thank you for calling us by name. Thank you for calling us into your kingdom, for calling us out, even in the midst of our rooms, in the midst of our cries, in the midst of the areas where we feel like nobody sees us. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you see us. We thank you that you see us. We thank you that you see us. I want to pray for a second person. And this one, specifically a girl, and it was at lunch, you sat down and said, I don't belong at this table. And you feel insecure around other people because you feel like you're less than. You feel like you're less than. Again, I feel like specifically this was a girl. Like you just like, I just you sat down at lunch and you felt like, I just don't know if I really fit in. And you felt like you were less than. Again, I, I might be, I'm okay to admit if I'm completely wrong. That's why we're here, God. Guys, God is big. God is great. We're not afraid to put ourselves out there because you know what happens when we put ourselves out there? God meets us on the other side. He meets us on the other side. So I'll wait a second. And maybe it wasn't specifically at lunch. I, I could have gotten that wrong. But maybe it's because you, you just felt insecure in general. And you felt less than when you're around other people. Like I said, this is specifically for the ladies right here. Right here, can we can we have some girl leaders just running going around and laying hands? Some of our pastors, thank you, thank you, thank you. I want to pray. Just that the spirit of insecurity would break in this room. 
that the spirit of feeling less than, the spirit of not feeling worthy would be broken. And so Jesus, we thank you right now, God, that your spirit, God, would be made real in the form of confidence. God, that a godly confidence would come over this place, would come over this room. God, that you would fill our hearts, God, with security. Fill our hearts knowing that we have been affirmed by you. Fill our hearts knowing that you have called us. Not any man, not any boy, not any person, not any Instagram, not any Snapchat. None of those things, God. Not what people say, not an account of followers. God, but your spirit and who you are calls us by name. And so, God, we thank you for breaking insecurity right now. In Jesus' name, we declare that insecurity would be broken. We declare right now that your security and your firmness and your confidence would come over us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, one more. One more. And this one was, maybe during games you felt like you weren't good enough and you said to yourself, I'll never be good enough at anything. And even though <laughs> games at camp are competitive and games at camp is clearly sometimes who the best person is, the most competitive, and you might feel like overlooked and you've made it and it's made you feel like There's other areas of your life as well where you just feel like you're just not good enough and you'll never be good enough. Raise your hand high. And again, we're gonna pray for these individuals. Right here, put your hands around her. Anybody else, you feel like you just aren't good enough. You just won't measure up. Right here, can we lay some hands? Ladies, can we lay some hands, please? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? Raise your hand high. God wants to meet you right here, right where you're at. Jesus, we thank you right now. God, that your performance is greater than our performance could ever be. And that you don't call us based on how good we are. You don't call us based on how we look. You don't call us based on how good we are. No, no, no. We trust in the perfect performance of Jesus. Our performance, no matter who we are, will never be good enough because the wages of sin is death. And guess what? We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. But in the midst of falling short, God calls us into his love and into his purpose because of his perfectness, because of his grace, and because of what he did. Not because of what we do, but because of what he did has done. And so God, today we break the spirit of performance. We break the spirit of performance in Jesus name. We break the spirit of performance. We break the spirit of performance in Jesus name, in Jesus mighty name. God, we ask today, God, that we wouldn't try and be these perfect individuals. We wouldn't try and be the perfect, the people that got it all together, God. God, but we would understand and trust that we put our faith, put our hope, in your performance, not in our own. So we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. And everybody said, amen. Give a hand clap for Jesus.
Come on, somebody. I believe the night's not over yet, and maybe you feel like, man, God, I want more. I want more. We're going to sing these songs, and I believe that God is going to talk to you. And you might feel like, oh, man, God, what, God's going to talk to me in an audible voice? No, no, no. God, the way he speaks, he sometimes speaks with just a feeling. And you takes me to Samuel, the prophet Samuel, who's someone who heard from God all the time. And Samuel was 12 when he first ever heard from God. And do you know what happened? God called out to Samuel two times. And Samuel had no idea that it was God. It took somebody else to tell Samuel, hey, I think God is speaking to you. So the next time you hear this voice, tell him, God, your servant is listening. And when that happened, Samuel went from just hearing God to listening to God. And there's a difference from just hearing God and listening to him. Because God, he really begins to speak when you're listening. And so with everybody here right now, put your hands out in front of you. And we're going to say this together. Say the same thing that Samuel said to God when God called his name because that's how God calls you he calls you by name and let's say this together speak Lord say it again speak Lord your servant is listening I want to say one more thing about that why that statement was so powerful was because God's message to Samuel was not even about Samuel. God's message to Samuel was about somebody else. God doesn't just want to speak to you about you. He wants to speak to you about your friends. He wants to speak to you about your family. And do you know what Samuel's word did? It served the person that it was about. It was a specific word. And I believe in this room, God wants to give some people a word for somebody that they know a word of encouragement, a word that speaks to them. And God wants to use you to do it. So as we sing these songs, I want to invite everybody to come up front. You can stay at your seat, it's fine, but I just believe there's something that happens when we're up front here at the altar. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move to the side. Someone's going to come move this thing out of the way. And I just believe God is going to speak to us. Amen? Take it away.